Hi, welcome to Revved Up for Sunday, a lectionary podcast from the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Justin Crisp. I'm Peter Walsh. And this week, Elizabeth Garnsey is away. We left a place for her like Elijah. Uh, we, will, we will miss all of her Girardian insights um, today during our conversation, which is a passage where they might have come in handy, but you'll have to catch Reverend Elizabeth another time. Uh, today, we have a story from the 12th chapter of St. Luke's Gospel that shows us that if you're looking for family therapy? I don't know if you would go to Jesus or not. Let's hear the scriptures. Reading from the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter, beginning at the 49th verse. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five and one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? That's the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> I thought we might start here with my favorite mug. Okay, so this is an advertisement for, um, for the amazing TV series. It's such a shame that this thing is over that they recorded the last season. Shit's Creek, okay? If you got something going on in your life, Father Peter here told me once, if you got something difficult going on in your life, just take two Shit's Creek and call me in the morning. It's totally true. This is my favorite mug though, because it's a character named Moira Rose. And if you know who Moira Rose is, you can read this uh, mug in her voice. Uh, and it's even funnier. If you don't know who Moira Rose is, this is your spiritual homework. Go find out who Moira Rose is and watch some Shit's Creek and then call us in the morning morning and she's saying the world is falling apart around us and I'm dying inside <laughs> that's a pretty good summary of what Jesus is saying here uh, and that's I thought a place to start so with Moira Rose in the conversation here Peter what in the world do you make of this passage? well it would be really wonderful to have both Elizabeth and Moira here uh, joining us in the, our conversation this is most assuredly uh, one of the one of the hard texts of Jesus yep. and imagine if we only had this text alone and we didn't have it in the context of the whole of the whole of Jesus's teaching the whole of gospel we would be taking a look at this and then we would really be scratching our head whether or not we wanted to follow this guy uh, I think as uh, as as difficult a text it is that we uh, probably might want to take it a little bit piece by piece mm-hmm. and part by part and just uh, they're connected but to say that we begin with Jesus uh, in chapter 12 and the span of his teachings in chapter 12 which begin with an early teaching about you hypocrites and a lot of conversation about possessions mm-hmm. uh, and now here we are working up to 
what I'd say are like three different pieces of this. The first being yeah. uh, fire and baptism. What is he talking about in fire and baptism? The second being peace and division. Mm -hmm. uh, and the third, when he's speaking to the crowds and he says, you can, you can read, you know when the storms are coming, you can read the weather, but you can't read the sign of the holy times. Right. And so let's, uh, this, is, this, is, this is hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Why don't we start with the, this uh, fire and baptism, and just remind everybody, um, I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were that it was already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Yeah. So we have fire and baptism together. I'll just start in on it, and Please, then, then yeah. take it uh, as you go. And so what do fire and baptism have to do with each other? You know, we always talk about John 3.16, mm -hmm. which uh, shows up at, you know, football stadiums. But we also have Luke 3.16. Yeah, that's that, right. Uh, yeah. That doesn't get, the same, doesn't get the same publicity. And in Luke 3.16, we're back at the Jordan River. And uh, John is talking about Jesus coming. And he's talking about his baptism for the repentance of sins. In other words, if you're convicted of your sin, get in that water. Uh, and that baptism is a sign of... of of the cleansing of that sin. Mm -hmm. But here he says, the one coming after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mm. And so early on in the gospel, we have, we have a place of Holy Spiritness and fire. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, and so why don't we just begin to break this down? Yeah. Baptism means more than one thing and fire means more than one thing. Mm -hmm. You want to take one of those on? I mean, I have things to say. I don't know if you want to jump in on like baptism or you want to jump in on fire uh, or how you want to go, because I've got some stuff to say on that, but let's keep it as a conversation. Well, what, what, I, what I might add here before you, before you break down the multiple meanings of fire and multiple meanings of baptism is that um, the, the second verse, um, Luke 3.17, um, sets that passage, I think, in the, in the context of... Um, a prophecy about judgment, the judgment of the one right. to come. Uh, so it seems to, that that fire is the fire of purification or the fire of judgment and or the fire of judgment if you see those things as differently or if you see them as the same purification and judgment. It's another conversation. Um, to John 3, 16 is John saying, I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Luke 3.17 says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so this is a, this is a, a variation on the theme of separating wheat from chaff, which is a biblical image used by, uh, it's all over the Gospels, a biblical image for judgment, right? Separating right. sheep from goats or separating wheat from chaff. And here, this is the fire of purification and or the fire of judgment. It's going to burn up the chaff. Uh, so that's, that's, I think, the meaning of fire that's being invoked here. But do you, do you see it the same way, or what are the other meanings of fire you were trying to draw out? Well, uh, so I, I think that there's, there's potentially two here. Mm -hmm. uh, and one is, is that fire, but the other fire is, so where, where do we get baptism and fire in some sense uh, in, in the story, not just at, at, at Luke three sixteen, but also, uh, in at the Pentecost event, yeah, right, right, and so where the tongues of fire of the Spirit land upon those in the upper room and, and send them off into the into the street, and so we have we have this incredible um, uh, fabric, uh, almost like an Oriental rug mm -hmm. with the complexity of an Oriental rug woven together, where we have we have uh, we have fire as as uh, as you said. Um, 
judgment or consuming or destroying, mm -hmm. right? And also we have fire as inspiration, the Holy Spirit as, oh, as right. the fires of inspiration. Yeah. And so at the, at, and, and at Jesus's baptism, which begins his ministry, the, the in, in Acts, you know, the, the, a, a new ministry of the living Christ in the power of the Spirit begins again. Mm -hmm. But this, and this question of this fire, uh, it, it has, as you know, Jesus says, um, um, you know, I have a baptism, and so this is not baptism in the waters of the Jordan. This is a baptism in His blood. Mm -hmm. I think is a potential way of saying that. Yeah. And and so baptism means more than one thing, and and that the fires of God's judgment on sin mm -hmm. come to earth, but they're directed to Jesus. That's exactly right. Okay, so that's actually, that's, that's the thing that I love about this passage. I have to say, I saw that, I'm preaching on Sunday and I saw this passage initially and I was like, uh-oh, are you serious? Actually, I've fallen in love with this passage uh, because <laughs> nice. I think you're exactly right. God's judgment on sin does fall, but it falls upon Jesus. And so the baptism, it's hard to, it's hard to hear his words here, uh, Jesus' words in, in uh, chapter 12, I have a baptism with which to be baptized and not think of the cross. I think that's the illusion that he's, that he's making, right? He's referring to the cross. Um, uh, and the connection between baptism and the cross, between our baptisms and water in the cross is something which um, St. Paul is gonna make a great deal of in his letters, in Romans, for instance. Um, but here Jesus is talking, he's equating this baptism with the cross and with it, with that identification of this baptism with his death, he puts a crucial twist on the prophecy of John the Baptist from chapter three. So in chapter three, who's doing the baptizing and who's being baptized? So here it's, he will baptize you, right? The one who's more powerful mm -hmm. than John who is to come, the one who's, um, uh, the straps of whose sandals he is unworthy to untie. This is the one who's going to baptize you, whoever you is, the hearer with the Holy Spirit and fire this person's winnowing fork is in his hand. This person will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, etc. Jesus is invoking the fire image again, and he's invoking the baptism image again. But he's the one who's being baptized, and he's the one baptizing. In the words of um, the great Protestant theologian Karl Barth, who's like the Protestant BFF of uh, the theologian who I've mentioned so much on this podcast, von Balthasar. Von Balthasar is much inspired by Barth, but Barth was older than he was and came before him. And, and Barth's whole mission was to center everything on Jesus. <laughs> his, his experiment was, what if we interpret all theology through the event of what happens in Jesus? And so he takes the Christ event, he takes Jesus' death and resurrection, and he says, that's when all the judgment happens. Jesus in that moment is both electing God and elected man, both the judge and the judged. <laughs> the one who is pronouncing judgment and the one who is suffering judgment. And so Jesus in that moment takes on all of humanity's self-destruction, which is where I think, which is where I think we're going here in the second passage about peace and division. Um, but the crucial twist here, the one that I just want to underline one more time, is that he's invoking Luke chapter 3, this prophecy of John the Baptist, but he's not dividing up sheep from goats in terms of a population of people. He's not, an, you know, he's not a removed judge. He's the one who, of whom um, John was speaking, but he's both the person who's baptizing with fire and he's the one who's going to be baptized with fire. 
He is the baptizer and the baptizand, as it were. And that changes everything. And for Bart, that means that cancels out all of the, uh, it cancels out all accusation. Uh, it cancels out any negative side of judgment for us. Because, uh, he says that after that moment, the only verdict that God can give to a human being is you're good because the judge was already judged in your place. It just, it just like, it resets the scales forever. Um, what do do you have anything else you'd like to say about that? Or do you want to move on here to the, what I was calling humanity's self-destruction, uh, yeah. this division and peace bit? Yeah, I'll just simply say thank you for that. And, and, and we get into this whole question of Jesus in the atonement and what's happening here. Right. just come right back down to the humanity of Jesus and then let's move on. Yeah. Uh, you know, that line, in what stress I'm under until it's completed and how do we, I mean, uh, how you... Uh, that's uh, true. You know, I mean, that, that is sometimes, I think probably the, the former translations is, um, and, and how I'm consumed mm. uh, until it's completed. And this stress, this, this we, get a, we get a sense that, of Jesus um, at this, this impending nexus point and as he moves toward it, uh, just the, the, his internal stress cranking up and cranking up and cranking up. There's a whole other heat burning in, in his life. Mm. Uh, and anyway, yeah, so I'm sure he was under stress. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> in absolutely. his humanity, oh my gosh, can you imagine the anxiety knowing? Oh yeah, and also, you know, as he moves down the Jordan River uh, in Luke's Gospel, the uh, the pushback on him increases as he mm. gets farther down the river and, and, and farther away from Galilee. Mm. So he, he, we're only, you know, we're just at the top of chapter 12 and we're just moving into 13. So he's got, he's still got a long, a lot of, a lot of footsteps to go in, right. uh, in Luke's gospel. Right. Okay. So let's, let's switch to this question of, um, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And my answer is yes, I actually thought you did come to bring peace on earth. Uh, <laughs> that's what the angel says in chapter two. Don't, that's how we begin the, great, the world's greatest Christmas pageant right here. You know, I mean, that's what that's all about. Yeah. I even love that passage so much. I went and I marked it off, you know. Uh, that's what the word that we always need so much when it comes our way is this, is this glory to God in the, in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace among those whom he favors, right? Mm. You know, that, that's the newer translation, which mm -hmm. doesn't have the same poetry. Mm. But, you know, yes, I thought he came to bring peace. Yeah. But if you take a look at it, mm, a whole lot of division. Totally. And I think one of the things that, yep. that uh, is we see in Luke's gospel and throughout and, uh, is that in the world that he grew up in, uh, you know, the, the kind of... Uh, the way the holy was transferred through time, mm -hmm. uh, the sort of kinship law was by blood, and that's why we have all these great genealogies, right? And now in Luke, mm. it's 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 not by blood; it's by faith. Yeah. Who's your family? Yeah. It, it's not. It's not by blood. Yeah. Your holy family, your spiritual family. Yeah. Is a different thing. Right? Yeah. Water is thicker than blood, as it were, if you want to think about the water of baptism. Um, nice. Yeah, I like that. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, I think that Jesus is like a mirror to humanity, a mirror to the world. Um, in the presence of the Lord, everything gets clearer. To use Johannine language, He's the light that enlightens the darkness. He's the light that pierces the darkness, and um, you can see this in the Gospel of Luke again in the first. 
uh, just in the first couple of chapters in the infancy narrative. So in chapter two, you get the famous song of Simeon. Um, and the, the uh, Simeon here is a very old man. He's, uh, the scriptures say, chapter two says he was, he was very devout. Uh, he was holy and devout. Perhaps he was a priest. It's unclear. The scriptures don't say so, but there's a tradition that he may have been a priest. Um, in any case, he's received a word from, from God that he will not die until he sees the Lord's Christ or the Messiah. Uh, and so he, it says he's inspired by the Spirit to go to the temple on the day when Mary Joseph bring Jesus for his, um, what was known as the redemption of the firstborn. This is a tradition from, um, oh, I've got the, I got the chapter here, Exodus chapter 13. It's related to um, uh, the, the plague that God brought upon Egypt at Moses' behest when Moses was agitating for the freedom of the people of Israel from slavery under Pharaoh. Um, the, the plague in which um, the, the firstborn sons of all of the Egyptians were killed, but the Lord passed over uh, the, the houses of the people of Israel because they, you know, they, they, they put the, they um, smeared their, their doors with the blood of a lamb. Um, and so there, there was this tradition by Mary and Joseph's time that the firstborn son in any household would be, quote unquote, redeemed by the making of a sacrifice a la the, you know, uh, painting the tops of your, of your door frame with the, the blood of the lamb um, in reference to this great act from the book of Exodus. So anyway, that's what Mary and Joseph are doing. They're also going there to complete Mary's ritual purification after childbirth, which is a, which was a tradition which came from Leviticus chapter 12, um, and it would have lasted for the 40 days, basically, following when, Jesus, when Mary had given birth. So we're 40 days out from Jesus's birth and they go to the temple. They're going to the temple. Simeon receives a word from the spirit. Hey, go to the temple. You're going to see this guy. And he, uh, it says that uh, Mary and Joseph come in. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and says the words of the nunc dimittis, which is the first two words of this passage in Latin. Uh, it became a canticle or a song, a hymn, which is um, repeated over and over and over in churches. It's the last, nearly the last thing which is said in the service of Compline in the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. Lord, thou lettest now thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, as in my eyes have seen your Messiah, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people to be a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of thy people Israel. So uh, he goes on, though, to say a word to Mary. So that's the part we always remember. But then he says something to Mary. He says, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And then he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And there's a lot of meaning there that we don't have uh, the time to talk about. But this, um, the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. That's what I mean when Jesus is like a mirror. You get close to God and somehow uh, the, the light of the Lord just shines into every part of you and he elicits what's really going on inside of you. And what's really going on in the side, in the, what's really going on in human society is this, is what he describes, is division, and division even in families, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. So the way that I interpret this with the Song of Simeon and Simeon's prophecy to um, Mary in mind is that Jesus doesn't come, Jesus comes to bring peace, he does, but his presence brings division because the division is what's really going on when he comes on the scene. 
uh, division is the state of sinful fallen humanity in these circumstances. And so his presence does elicit opposition. It elicits rebellion to God and to others. And I think it's powerful that as he gets closer and closer and closer to the cross, the opposition becomes more and more and more and more and more and more and more, right? Uh, but it's not that God is like, mm, I want to I bring about some division <laughs> and then boom, division because I sent Jesus to bring division. It's, God really wants to bring peace. But humanity, in fact, is divided and Jesus being in their midst, just being in the proximity of Jesus, brings that division out into the open. Ideally for our healing, and I would say ultimately for our healing, because that's the self-destruction, that's the self-destructiveness, which is the baptism with which Jesus is baptized, as Jesus suffers the calamity of, of our, basically, our social and our personal unraveling. Um, so I, I, I think that the redactor here has put these two together so that they could be interpreted by each other. They can sit side by side. But I like to think that the, uh, that the baptism, the judgment, is a self-judgment. And it's, it's, Jesus suffers the calamity of exactly this, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, writ large in our whole world. Wow. Yes. I, I would say yes to that. Yes. I, the, the division that we get here, though, is a great challenge to us also because yeah. we, we think of Jesus as a man of peace and, and someone who is going to bring things together. And now he's coming along and saying, actually, that's not true. Yeah. It might have been prophecy. You know, the prophecy uh, might have been that, that that's, this was going to happen, but it's actually not true. Mm. So if you do the atonement from above, God's at peace, but the world is not. Mm. Uh, and then we enter here and we see that the, that which God is not at peace with is, is, is wrong-heartedness. Mm. Perhaps one might say something like that, and that the right-heartedness of Jesus causes division as, as people they kind of move around the, the holy heartedness of questions here. Mm -hmm. And and that division, I mean, as you say, it's just true. Jesus, just there's division everywhere and Jesus is a divider. Uh, and, 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 and there's a lot of stories about that. But you take that as, as he just says, this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. And then we move down. And, and how does the passage below it comment on the passage above it, just as you just said before? Right. And now, now say before this is he's been talking uh, amongst friends, amongst mm -hmm. his followers. But now he switches. You get this thing where he switches to the whole crowd, and he's like, "Okay, folks, you, you can read the weather, but you can't read the signs of the times." Right. And he said, "And we're back to you hypocrites." <laughs> and uh, the, and the hypocrites. I, I I read or heard relatively recently that a hypocrite. In antiquity, early on was an actor. Mm. That's what they call, you know, instead of famous actors, we had famous hypocrites yeah. and people pretending. And he's saying, you know, you who are pretending and you're, you're not interpreting the time. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is you're not, basically, you're not interpreting me. So you, mm. whether that's teachings and miracles and, uh, and, the, and his personhood, you're just really, you're, you're really, you're just really missing this. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that's... Uh, and and that's a, even a commentary just above. Some in the family are missing this. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I think that the you know the redactor of Luke has put these things together for a reason. So the redactor of Luke has an editorial agenda. He thinks of these passages, uh, or she thinks of these passages, probably a he in this historical context. Um, 
thinks of these passages as, as, as interpreting one another in some fashion, because you do, they, they do seem to be two separate recollections, because in the first half here, um, from the fire to the baptism to the Father against Son, etc., he's speaking to the disciples, and then it just switches, boom, he also said to the crowds, right, right. with very little transition. Um, and so it is the sense that, yeah, you, you know how to read the weather, but you can't read the signs of the times, as it were. You, you can't, uh, some of these people are missing it. Um, and I, I, part of my response to Jesus here is, actually, I don't think we're that good at reading the weather. <laughs> and I, I, don't think that, I don't think that human beings actually are very good at interpreting the present time. I'm not. Uh, St. Augustine said that basically human history was completely opaque to human beings. It's very difficult to know what's wheat and what's chaff. It's just, it's just, it's just it's nearly impossible for us to do. Um, and so I, I would want to um, read this with the text, but also against the text, that last saying to say, uh, actually, Jesus, we're not very, we're actually not very good at the weather. And maybe that's a good lesson for us, right? To have some humility here uh, about who's in, who's out. Um, am I on the right side of this family division or am I on the wrong side of this family division? The family is divided, that is to be sure. I'm never very clear about the right side and the wrong side. I don't mean to say that I don't believe that there is a right side and a wrong side. I just have some humility. I have some self-doubt in that regard very, very, very often. Um, but I, I do think that in the end, uh, the world, you know, the world is falling apart around us and um, I'm dying inside. That's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of the, that's kind of the message. That's kind of what he's saying here. Uh, he's saying this is this is yeah yep yep. If you say that when you wake up on a Monday morning, it's probably true. A lot of this is descriptive rather than prescriptive. A lot of it, I think, is descriptive of the way that the world is rather than God bringing it about in this particular way. But the twist that I just love is that Jesus is the one who's going to be baptized with all this stuff, instead of being the one who's baptizing other people with the fire. He's somehow the one who's going to be baptized with fire. And that's going to take us to the end of the story and then to the end of all of our stories. Uh, in any case, um, we hope that if you're having a day like Mora Rose, that the Lord comes close to you uh, and consoles you. And if you're not having a day like Moira Rose, you might go and console someone else. Please like, share, and subscribe and help us to share the good news with a world in great need. God bless you. Bye-bye.